So I did, I did want to start, because I'm recording now, but I did want to start with um, this wonderful passage from Ezekiel 13, uh, Ezekiel 13, 9. And especially as I think about, like I said, to my knowledge, only one person has stepped down from the Evangelical Advisory Council. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I, and I applaud that person. But the president does have an evangelical advisory board, and I question, I question them. I question them on their silence in the midst of what's happening, and I question them on how well they are actually advising him. They, some of them have issued generic, everybody be nice and we don't like hate statements. Some have remained absolutely silent. Some have supported the president in his statement that was very controversial. Um, but I found this passage in Ezekiel 13, starting in verse 9. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and utter lying divinations. They will not belong to the council of my people or be listed in the records of Israel, nor will they enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the sovereign Lord. Verse 10. Because they lead my people astray, saying, Peace, when there is no peace. And because when a flimsy wall is built, they cover it with whitewash. Therefore, tell those who cover it with whitewash that it is going to fall. Rain will come in torrents, and I will send hailstorms hurtling down, and violent winds will burst forth. When the wall collapses, will people not ask you, Where is the whitewash you covered it with? And I was looking for a different verse, and that came up when I was searching, and I went, well, there you go. That says it all. Yeah. Um, but you asked the question, Marie, you asked about, you asked about tongues, and I want to um, kind of address that as an intro to what you're doing, if you see me pulling out all of these books over here. Um, as we're studying about studying about studying, how to study the Bible. Um, you asked about tongues and and how anybody could assume that everybody has to have everybody has to have you know one particular gift. Um, when I was at seminary, I actually did a paper on the issue of tongues and and because I it's something that I had been very curious about. Um, it seems to be something that's talked about in two different ways. Uh, the, there's the gift of tongues, and then there's other places where it talks about speaking in tongues. And there are, it, it is true that when the Sanhedrin was gathered, um, and, and everybody who was going to become one of the judges was gathered, uh, they immersed themselves and, and prepared themselves for three days, and then when Moses anointed them, everyone began speaking in tongues, including these guys who were in a different part of the camp who hadn't been anointed, and somebody came and told them, and he said, well, then God chose them for this too. Bring them over here. We'll anoint, you know, we'll get them cleaned up, and, and they're obviously who God wants here. Uh, and in the book of Acts, when, when the Holy Spirit came in power on the early church, everyone began speaking in tongues. But... It says speaking in tongues and prophesying. And prophesying in the Bible means proclaiming the word of God. So it's very much a speaking in known languages. The people who were there in, in Exodus, there were Egyptians there who had converted. There were, you know, there were Jews. There were people... Um, who'd only ever lived, you know, they'd, they'd had, there were, and Egypt was, a lot of languages came there, so who knows how many people with different languages were there, so when people started proclaiming in other languages, like you said, your friend who's, you know, people who stand up and go, yeah, I, I know what that means, right. that's very much part of tongues, and Paul is very clear that when you're in a, a public gathering, no one should be speaking in tongues unless someone is there to interpret. Right. Because if we all speak English and none of us speak a different language, what would be the point of speaking in another language? Is it just to make you look good? You know? Um, now, and it says, or the person should be ready to interpret themselves. So now if my first language is a different language and we're all gathered and I stand up to proclaim and I proclaim 
in my language, I should be prepared to interpret for you. Because otherwise, what's the point? That's why when we do the blessings in Hebrew, we do them in Hebrew and then in English. If there was another predominant group, you know, if we didn't speak English, we would do them in Hebrew and then whatever language everybody here spoke. So, there is very much this, this connection between speaking in tongues and interpreting tongues for the glory of God and the sake of the unbeliever. And he even says, because if, if you're proclaiming tongues or in, in tongues and there's somebody in your group who doesn't understand it, how, what, what good is it? And if nobody understands, how can you say amen? Uh, I tell a story about this topic to about a friend of mine online years ago who shared that they grew up in a church where everybody was supposed to speak in tongues, and she didn't. And she was, I'd wonder what was wrong with her, and why didn't God love her? And she just finally come to terms with it. But a friend who was a foreign exchange student was so curious to see, she's like, I really want to come see this. She's like, you don't want to see this. She goes, no, I really want to come see this. I'm so curious. So about halfway through the service, when everybody's praying in tongues, she looks over, and the girl is crying. And she's like, oh, great, she's going to speak in tongues, and then I'm still going to be the odd man out here. So she asked her afterwards, she said, what, what, you know, why were you crying? What happened? And she said, the woman behind me was cursing God in my native tongue, and nobody stopped her. So if you don't know what somebody's saying, how do you know what you're saying amen to? Now, Paul also talks in other places about tongues of angels. That is something that is there. And he talks about the spirit crying out in words you cannot understand when you don't know what to pray. Right. So I truly believe that is also something addressed in the Bible. But when Paul talks specifically about that, it's for your own private edification or in a small group. And it still requires interpretation. Because one, at one place he says the gift of tongues is for the unbeliever to share the gospel. And then at another place, he says speaking in tongues is for the edification of the believer. So two purposes, we're talking about two different things. But the paper that I wrote, I went through and looked at every time the issue of tongues comes up and how it's handled differently. And, and when it's, when it's the gift of tongues, it is very definitely the gift of speaking in unknown languages or like known languages that the person doesn't know. So if, you know, I, and I've heard from different missionaries where they'll go into a place where they don't know the language or they kind of know the language, like they know enough to say hi and ask for the bathroom, you know, but they're able to have fluent conversations with people there as they share the gospel. That is the gift of tongues. Um, I, I've recently come to, you know, I, something happened and, and I started thinking about it even a little differently and I started realizing even within the same actual language, we have different subcultures and different communities and I think there's an aspect to the gift of tongues that allows you to interpret between cultures. Like to hear what's being said from one cultural background and being able to understand it and, and then translate between cultures because I think that's one of the issues that is really something that God's doing, especially right now. I don't think new. I think it's always been, but yeah. I'm especially aware of it right now because there are some people who talking across political or across cultural or across racial or whatever divisions just it's like they're literally speaking two different languages and the ability to go in and try, you know, there's a peacemaker element to being able to understand and find those areas of connection so that you can start to bridge, bridge those gaps. But one of the challenges that we have is that most of us only really read our primary language and when we go to our translation, we read it in our primary language and we take it at what it's worth. And, you know, we, when we were talking about the context, the issue of when was the translation made, what was the language that they were translating, you know, from and to. And, and um, one of the, I, I think I mentioned even at the time, the whole 
Well, it contradicts itself. It says Judas hanged himself, and then it says Judas fell on his sword. Why does it say he died in two different ways? Until you know that in King James' day, hanged was what they called falling on your sword. Because you were suspended in the air, hanging, before you slid down on it. See, that's why it's so important for the history. Yes. The culture of yes. the time. Yes. Yes. And looking up the words. What did that word mean in that day? Not what does that word mean in my modern English in a completely different time and day and country than when it was translated. So I brought some study tools. And I know, um, now you said you had a verse you wanted to look at. Nay, nay. You had a verse you wanted to look up. What was the verse? <laughs> if you remember what it says, I'll look up what it is. And then with the Romans, it, is, it says uh, when they hung people, they hung, they hung, they hung, I hear some people say they hung Jesus on a tree. Yeah. So, tree, cross, are they saying that? A lot of people think it was a tree that he was nailed to, but not necessarily a cross. Gosh, was behind him? Because that's what I'm oh, saying. Now, yeah. how was that translated? You know, tree is that translated? It's hung, yeah, hung on a tree, and, but not. But it's heads. not hanging so because he was nailed to it. He was nailed. So it wasn't. It wasn't a hanging. It was nailed to it. Okay. Um, but then you have people who took the idea of lynching from hung on a tree. Yeah. And. Completely out of context. And was it? And was it like they say? Because how do you get beyond a tree? How do you get your? Arms? Well, if you take a tree well, and it's well, got I branches. Well, and that's that's how I used to see it too. And that's how a lot of people. See, but a lot of times, I've read a lot that says it may have actually just been that there were trees there, and they nailed them to the. If you watch. Middle Ages movies where they'll nail people up to trees, actual trees, not carved wood, you know, or that there was a, a tree stake there and then he carried a cross beam and they nailed him to the cross beam and put the beam up on the tree. Right. So I think that we have a nice children's Sunday school sanitized version of, in our minds of a lot of things that were not at all sanitized and were not at all much worse than what we think. Yeah. And because, you know, a lot of people will, if you watch Lord of the Rings. But that was, that was also a very, very Catholic version of how much blood was involved because the blood was different. I mean, it meant something specific. But I just mean like, but the graphicness. Yeah. 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 Like, I felt like that was the closest thing I've ever seen. Feeling like, an, as an onlooker, cringing and, yes. and, and not. Nothing else, nothing else really made me cringe. It's like, oh. Yeah, oh, that's awful. As opposed to. Oh. I would have been like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> the towel. Yeah. I didn't do it. And. But, yeah, that was the only one that made me really feel like. What? Yeah. Yeah. Do you know which verse you're looking for? It was in a verse. It was something that I was making about our blood. What about oh, our blood? Oh, about consuming the blood. About, yeah. That is a verse, though. But that is oh, a verse. It is? Yeah, yeah. A couple of verses. About, about consuming the blood? Yes. Yeah. What about yeah. it? Receiving it, but like receiving it, like if you need Could blood. Know what oh, yeah. yeah See, and that... We were, we were taught that, well, not we were, but I was taught that our blood is sacred and we shouldn't be well, there, yeah, there are verses that say the life is in the blood, which some would then say you're giving life when you give blood. Um, the, the approach that, that Jehovah's Witness take is based on verses about blood, but there's no verse that says not to do that, whether it was because they didn't do that at that time or whether, you know, and that, that's one of the things we're looking at. What's the culture behind the text? Because if that was not a practice, there would be nothing addressed by it. That's one thing. Um, but because back in biblical times, it's their tradition. Well, you know, it's a tradition, it's a tradition not an instruction. Well, and that's that's one of the important things to think about when you're thinking about what. Is, what genre something is. And this is, these are basic things. When somebody comes at me with a verse 
or, or a statement about God or a statement about people. And, and they say, it says it plainly in the Psalms. Plainly in the Psalms? Plainly in the book of poetry? Right. Really? Right. It says it plainly. It says it plainly. Yeah. Should we talk about interpreting poetry? Can we talk about this genre for a minute? Or plainly in the Proverbs? Plainly. Wisdom sayings, some of which actually contradict each other. That is the one place that I will agree that there is contradiction, but it's because it different situations require different wisdom. You know, sometimes you make good decisions with a lot of advisors. Sometimes you need few advisors who actually know what they're talking about. So, so the statements contradict, but the meaning doesn't. No. Yes, yes, no, Tanya. No. No. You can tell she's a teacher. No, <laughs> to touch death but you're not getting a transfusion from a dead person and if the life is in the blood there's no prohibition against touching life now right because that and that would be right and that would be that would be bad in the first place you know you need to clean that um so so knowing what genre you're talking about because if it's not commanded in torah if it's not commanded where the law is laid out, it's not a command. That's where God defines what sin is and what sin is not. Now, there may be things, I mean, that obviously those basic ideas have been expanded on at different times within the Jewish community, within other communities, and, and there is an element of personal conviction. Um, I know people, I, I know one person who, who's a recovered alcoholic, recovering alcoholic, and knows that to drink alcohol is a sin for them. And I absolutely affirm that. But they also do not go around telling everyone it's a sin to drink alcohol. Because it, it isn't. The Bible doesn't say it's a sin to drink alcohol. Um, and, and that's one of the places where it's really important to know if you or if your community is doing something for a reason of tradition, which can be valid. You know, there are, there are traditions that develop within communities for very good reasons. And, and they may be very good traditions. And if you're becoming part of that community, it's important to learn about and understand their traditions so you can decide, do I want to be part of this culture and, and, and be with this community? It becomes easier when that community is able to understand this is our tradition, but we understand this isn't scripturally commanded. So we're not going to let keep anybody out because they don't completely adhere to this. But when you're in our communal group, please, you know, this, this is how we choose to come together communally. Um, that's how alcohol is handled in a lot of communities. You know, we don't think it's a sin to drink alcohol. We don't... You know, we're not coming and policing your home. If we see you out at dinner, don't worry that we saw you with wine. But when we come together because we don't know the circumstances of everyone present, maybe not real alcohol. Um, but you know what I, what I see about the blood part, like every time I do read something about that, they're talking about eating the blood. So, what, I mean, eating the blood, transfusing right. the blood. And they, if you're sick, you will not get better drinking blood. Right. We're talking about animal blood. Right. Because Spartans, I'm just, yeah. I just want to read a little bit of this I found in Leviticus 17, 11. Okay. It says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maket
neither shall any stranger or so, so, sojourner among you eat blood. See, there you get right. eat blood. And what passage is that? Leviticus? Leviticus 17, 11. And then you could read 10. We'll start with 10. Because it's it, it talks about, and whatever so, whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, all of the strangers or sojourners among you, that, again, eateth any manner of blood. I will even set my, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth again. Right, eateth eat blood, blood. eating the blood. So now and let's. Cut them off. So we're if we look at this, let's go ahead and you said it's Leviticus. Yes. Uh, seventeen. Seventeen. Chapter seventeen. Verse ten. Verse ten. And it goes ten, eleven, and twelve. Okay. So when I'm confronted, basically, I'm going to share my process. Okay. For when I go to study a verse. Okay, and I'm going to hand out books, and we're going to probably need, we've got about like 40 minutes right now, and then we're going to continue next week, okay. maybe with a different verse, um, a, t a TBC. Yeah. Um, so, and then Lisa, Lisa will be here. So, when I'm confronted with a verse, mm -hmm. I read it in the English. I actually like, um, Bible Hub has the opportunity to, to read a verse. You can look it up. It's a website, BibleHub.com. It'll show you a lot of different verses. I also like to go to Blue Letter Bible. I think it's, it's blb.org, not .com. Let me check. Whoops. Not B. B-L-B. Good night. Blue Letter Bible. You can look up blueletterbible.org or blb.org. We'll take you there, too. You're hungry, you? What do you think? The reason that I prefer Blue Letter Bible to things like Bible Gateway or, or some of the other online Bibles, the other online Bibles are great and sometimes they have commentaries linked that you can check out and that's wonderful. But Blue Letter Bible, um, so let's see, we're going to Leviticus 11. Right? No, 17. 1711. 10. Yeah, 1710. Yes, yeah, yeah, 17. 17. You can tell I'm tired because I'm having to ask this like 17 times. Um, <laughs> and then, so 1710, if you go to that verse, you can either click on tools or you can just click on that verse and it will open it up. They have an interlinear where it shows you the verse in Hebrew or Greek. Um, and then it has. Uh, as you go down the side, it breaks it down. So, like blood. Interestingly, blood is is dumb, and it's um, that soul that eateth blood. So, any manner of if if you eat any manner of blood. So the word blood is dumb, and if you click on it. It has a number, and that number matches on Blue Letter Bible and in most places. You did not bring the Strong's Concordance. This is an evangelical commentary. Oh, okay. okay. We will find the Strong's Concordance and bring that next week. Okay. Um, but the number that is next to the word, in this case H818, is, is the the number that is the the connection for the strong's concordance okay um and when you open this up you have the transliteration dom the pronunciation dom d-a-m like adam okay so it is a masculine noun for those who are interested and it is the root word it shows you the root word that it comes from. Um, and again, this is, oh, I'm sorry, 1818, H1818. Now, a lot of people, the next step they do is they go to the Strong's Concordance. I do have the Young's Literal Concordance here, which they're both concordances, but they will give you different, <coughs> different words and different, uh, different explanations, different information about them. So, um, you know, it's interesting that you say go back to the 
The biblical description of creation, the biblical description of creation is very, very much consistent with the current understanding of what happened in the cosmos. That something happened and matter separated from antimatter. And and things began to form. And and it's actually really interesting when you when I've heard different people giving the description of the beginning, you know, that, that moment of creation. It's quite interesting. So that's where they come with the Big Bang. Something happened. It was a Big Bang. Because, you know, well, like, God spoke. he says, let there be light. Do you, know fast, but do you know how fast light travels? Yeah. yeah. If I say let there be light and my words that I speak is creating that light the, as fast as light travels, that's going And light is created... That's like boom. Right. That's, and light not, light is the separation of matter from antimatter and, and it it speaks to something happening in the cosmos. It's not just a story, you know. So when when you unite that so so go okay, so when you go to the to the concordance, here's the thing that you need to understand about a concordance. Because a lot of people will say, Well, it says in in Strong's that this is what it means. And no, it doesn't. The concordance does not tell you what the word means. The concordance tells you how that word in either the Hebrew or the Greek was translated in a particular translation. So in this case, we find that dom, the, the, the word that is H1818, is translated in the KJV 342 times as the word blood. 15 times as the word bloody. <coughs> when it's combined with the word that is H5315, it means person. I'm guessing that's ah, as in Adam. One time, and that happens one time. Blood guiltiness, one time. Blood thirsty, when it's combined with H582, one time. And a, a variation on blood, one time. So the outline of, and then, the, so we also have in here an outline of biblical usage. Um, one blood, it's also figuratively used of wine. So it's the color of blood. Now, Strong's does offer a definition based on its translation, okay? So based on how it's translated, this is how Strong's says, what it says this word means. Um, Blood as that which can shed causes death of man or an animal by analogy, the juice of the grape, figuratively, especially in the plural blood shed, i.e. drops of blood. Bloody, guiltiness, thirsty, and uh, an innocent blood. Okay? But that is still not the definition of the word. That's the definition of how it's translated in Strong's. Okay? When we look at Young's, and, and the way that, when you're actually looking at it as it's laid out, um, and the, again, I don't have the Strong's here to show you the book, but in Young's, it has Genesis 4.30, and it shows every verse where you find the word blood. Wow. This... Um, this is diseased blood. This is the shedding of blood. This is the guiltiness of blood. Thirsty blood, like bloodthirsty, bloody. Um, and it goes all the way. To here when we get to the word bloom. Wow. Okay. So everything. From where is it over here? Do 
do, do, do. Where is it? Blind blood. From here, in the middle of this page at the bottom, to all of these, and you see how tiny this is, over to here at the bottom. These are all the different places you find the word blood. Wow. Right. Now the way that the way that this works is if you if you're reading and you see it talks about the blood, I want to understand what it says about the blood. Then you go to the to the concordance, you find the word blood, and then you look through until you find the verse that it's talking about, or that you're looking at. And Let's see. So here we have Leviticus. Leviticus 17. 10. And here it says that eateth any manner of blood against that soul that eateth blood. In verse 11, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when you're looking at animals, eating the flesh isn't forbidden. Mm -hmm. But if there's any blood left in it, then you're eating something alive. That is forbidden. And then ver uh, verse 11, also it is the blood that maketh atonement. Verse 12, no soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger eat blood. In other words, even if you have a guest in your house, you don't let them eat the blood. Yeah, don't bring the blood in. Can't eat the blood when you're here. So blood? Yeah, Sorry, it's like, um, leave. no. Blood pudding? Yeah, it's like, no, no, please, yes. Um, would that go, would, would they say that about if you pick a finger and you want, like that, would that be? It's your own and probably not. Well, well, yeah, people quickly do that, though. That's like well, an automatic reaction sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, you're not dead. I think yeah, you're right. Right. I was gonna you say it's just like I mean, someone you're, else though. Like someone else yeah. cut their finger, and you're like, oh. Like, yeah, yeah. Don't suck oh, somebody oh, else's oh, cut. That's I mean, unless it's a snake <laughs> bite, because then that's yeah. different. I'm showing the idea. Yeah. 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 I would have given that to my kids. They're like, mom, my finger. I'm like, oh, we're here, we're sure. Yeah. Right. Right. So. Yeah, nope, you can just take that right on out of here. See, and that's disturbing. That is not right. That is nasty. That is nasty. Okay, so, so the, the, the concordance tells us now, also, if you were trying to do, let's say you were trying to do a study on the idea of blood and how it's addressed in Scripture and what the Scripture says about it, a concordance is a great thing because you can look up the word and go and read and study the verses of everywhere it's mentioned. Okay, so it's helpful. A concordance is helpful. So is there a certain concordance to look up? Or? The Strong's is the one that's attached to the KJV. It's the one you're going to find in uh, on BLB. Not my favorite, yeah, personally. Um, right. Which one you like? I, I personally like the Young's. Uh, it is not attached to as many Bibles, um, but I have it as a separate... Uh, uh, you know, I, I have it here. It's, and there is a Young's translation, and that Young's translation is on BLB and most other sites. You can read the Lungs. It's a Young's literal translation. Now, I don't believe that literal is the best way to translate every passage in the Bible, but I, when I'm going to study something, I want the most literal, accurate translation so that I can go and look at what those words mean, and then I build on it from there. I don't want to start with... I want to understand poetry in Hebrew. I mean, that I might if I'm studying something in Psalms, I will look at that aspect of it. But I also want to look at what does each of the words mean, and then build. Well, what is the imagery of that? You know, I don't stop at the literal, but I think the literal the literal is valuable when it's not a language that you speak. So moving on from there, we also have um, in the on the BLB, it is available 
There is also the bacon, lettuce, bacon. The bacon, lettuce, bacon. There is turkey, bacon. It has to be TBLB. Oh, yes. We have a lexicon. Okay, the lexicon is going to be below, and they use Jacinius's Hebrew Chaldee lexicon, which is fine. This is a Brown, Driver, Briggs, Hebrew, and English lexicon, which... You know, it's just, it's a different, this is the one that I used for my Hebrew class at Fuller. Uh, this is the one that's on BLB. Hey, birthday boy. Hey, birthday boy. Hey, birthday boy. <laughs> <laughs> is that Fiona the Great? It is. I picture her doing magic. Think about it. Don't jump right into it. <laughs> Maybe something to work towards. It's a movie yeah, towards. <laughs> Happy birthday. Thank you. Happy birthday. <laughs> So, so under, <laughs> so under the lexicon, um, the lexicon break tells you what the word actually means in the Hebrew. Now, what's the lexicon? Is that a it's like a, it's like a di- no. The lexicon is like our dictionary. If I look up a word in the dictionary, I'm getting the definition of it. So the concordance tells you how it's translated and where you find it. The lexicon tells you what it means. Okay. So it is a dictionary. It is a dictionary. Um, but the different thing about a lexicon from L-E-X-I-C-O-N. So you wouldn't, you can't, it's not like a regular dictionary. Because if I go and look up in an English dictionary, it's going to tell me the meaning. So if I, if I get, if I like have Google Translate... It will tell me what the sentence means that I've given it, but, yeah, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's very silly. Um, I love, there's websites that will show how things are translated from English into other countries and then back into English and what they say. Is it um, a biblical dictionary or just a dictionary? It's biblical in a, hey, hold on, I'm going to tell, I'll explain it a little more. But my favorite is the one for Asian tourists that tells them in a city to walk with the white man and stop with the angry hand. To what? Because if you think about the the visual flashing lights for crossing the street, it's the white man (laughs) and then the red hand. (laughs) When you you translate the instructions into, into, it's either Japanese or Chinese, and then you translate it back into English, it ends up saying... To be safe, walk with the white man and stop with the angry hand. Oh my god! <laughs> Wait, I thought I was like telling you how not to get sued or something. No, no, it's how to be safe in busy in busy cities. In <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> so anyway, it, it is it is a biblical dictionary in the sense that when you're looking at it, and I can pass this around for you guys to see, um, and then we can look at the book too. But it will tell you. Each of the, the meanings of the word in, di- in its different tenses in which it's found, in, in its variations. But if you look under each definition, it tells you the verses where, it's, where, that, tra- where that version of that word. Because, you know, in foreign languages, and, and even in English, you might have run, running, ran, past tense. Um, you will run. We have, you know, future perfect and, you know, just all the different variations, especially with verbs. Is it a past tense? Is it a present tense? Is it a future tense? And so it will tell you each of those, those different things. So here it says blood, you know, and it shows the Hebrew from the root to be red. And in the Talmud, it says this, um, Augustine says this about it. Um, and here's the verses, to eat the flesh with the blood, for Samuel 14, 32 and 33, Ezekiel 33 and 25, contrary to the Mosaic law in Leviticus 17, 11. So this first definition of blood is the one that used here. But there's other definitions of blood. Um, blood used uh, especially for bloodshed, slaughter. Um, and then when it's blood of the grape, referencing wine, you find that in Genesis 49.11, Deuteronomy 30, 30, 32, 32, 14. So 
I can pass that around. Careful not to hit anything if you want to pass that. And then... This is the, this is the, <laughs> what should do? He picks up the fine stuff. You guys are silly. Wait, were you supposed to go Whichever, we'll go back there. Um, and I, of course, now that I've sent that and I can't see... So when you look at when you're looking in here, this what it looks like in It's a lexicon. So when somebody says, "Well, I looked it up in Strong's, and it means this," it's like, yeah. "Okay, but did you check the lexicon?" Yeah. What does the, the lexicon say? Yeah. Um, and I, I've had actually, I've had people actually say, well, I looked it up in the dictionary and it means this. Well, great. If it was written today, I'm sure that's what they would mean by that word. But it wasn't written in English today. Yeah. Webster wasn't in the wilderness. <laughs> so, so when we're looking at this, um, Okay, that's what I was looking for. And this this one is a little bit challenging because it has, um, it's just the Hebrew in here. So here we go. So here we go. It's the Dalet and the Mim, Dom. And it means blood. And this is, you notice, okay, so this is, the lexicon that they have on Blue Letter Bible. It's one iPhone screen. 6S, not the plus. This is the lexicon for Dom in the book. From there to there. Okay? Wow. So if you're looking on... <laughs> If you're looking on the website and you're going, it doesn't tell me this verse, you're, you're probably right. It's the one, it, it's a reason for investing in. There are software tools that you can get if you really want to get into study. There's great software tools you can get that mean you don't have to lug around the giant books. Um, I have the giant books, so <laughs> they didn't have... I didn't have access to the tools that were kind of newer and a lot more high-end expensive when I was studying. So I'm going to pass around the Young's Concordance, and I'll pass around that way if you can give, come get that. What am I looking for? Just whatever you want. Slip through. This is going to start in English, so you can look up any word you want. Now, this is where I'm also going to mention, um, you know, looking up different translations and just the various various study tools that they are. This is a synopsis of the four Gospels. Okay, this correlates all four Gospels' stories together. And what's that called? It's, it's just called Synopsis of the Four Gospels. So it's got... It starts with... Um, this is the prologue. So the prologue for each of them, the very first introduction, parallel, side by side. So you can read what it says about who's writing it, what it says about why they're writing it, who it's written to, the purpose for writing it. And then here it goes into the different stories. And there's a lot of footnotes. Um, so when you there's lots of places where maybe Luke talks about something that the other Gospels don't contain. Or they talk about it in a very different time. So it, this pulls all the parallel stories together and tells you where they are in the book. Um, so... The fate of the disciples. Matthew 10, 17 through 25. Mark 13, 9 through 13. Luke 12, 11 and 12, 6, 40 and 21, 12 through 19. And then John 13 and 16 and then specifically in these other verses. Um, when you look at different parables or like the stilling of the storm, it tells you that in, that's Matthew 8, but it's Mark 4. 
and Luke 8. And then it's not in John. Okay, so you can see kind of side by side, and I'll pass this around. So if you're really wanting to understand the Gospels, you're wanting to kind of parallel them, what was the timeline of things that happened, that's a tool that you can call upon. This is, this is the evangelical commentary on the Bible. There are as many commentaries on, on the Bible as there are different ways for understanding the Bible. Oh, no. <laughs> so a lot of people go, well, I read in so-and-so's commentary, and it said it meant this. Well, what you read was what so-and-so thinks it means. Or what so-and-so's denomination says it means. Or how so-and-so, you know, understood it on whenever, you know, whatever they wrote it. So you can kind of look through here. It, and it, this just goes, you know, straight through. So, like, this is the section on Ezra 7, chapter 7, verses 11 through 26, you know. And it has Nehemiah. It has, now... Am I saying these are useless? No. If you want to understand how did Jehovah Witness get to this idea, see if you can track down a Jehovah Witness commentary. You can probably find one online or at the library. Go to the verses, specifically Leviticus 17. Read their commentary. They will share with you why they believe this. And then you can look what the verse says for yourself you can look it up um the great thing with the concordance is you can you know the reason the way you would use a concordance in that is you would read the commentary understand what they say about it look for yourself in the concordance at all the different places that the bible talks about it look in the lexicon see what it actually means when it's translated from the history and decide if that commentary makes sense and if nothing yes you have a question so Hebrew, right? You're reading from the side of the side. Does that mean you're reading it like this? Um, in these, in this book, when it switches to the Hebrew, you read it right to left. When it's in the English, you read it left yeah. to right. I'll read it like this, and then read it like that, and then read it like that. Yes. Absolutely. Yes, it's challenging. Um, oh, a lot of times, in in no matter what commentary you're looking at, though, there's an introduction to every book. That can be helpful. Because it will talk about when it's thought, you know, not, and there is variation in all of this too, but it's kind of helpful. Nehemiah is thought to be set in this time. Um, this is a more, this is a less denominational rooted and a more, um, a more broad approach in the sense that your introductions are probably going to say it's thought to have been written between this time and this time. Here's kind of what was happening. Uh, books that introduce you to different books of the Bible are helpful in that way too. So you can look through these. It's, it's helpful if you want to understand. If you, if you don't know that Psalms is a book of poetry, the introduction to the book of Psalms might tell you that. So you, you guys know this is, this is my personal favorite. Um, this is the, the Chumash with the rabbinic commentary. The rabbinic commentary, the Chumash. It's the Hebrew collection that is broken up for weekly reading with the Torah and the half Torah portion and the five uh, Megillos scrolls that are for the different holy days um, that have readings attached to them. So when you go in here, now the thing I love about, about this, it has the Hebrew and the commentary and it has on the other page, the translation of the Hebrew, and it has the commentary. Now, this commentary, I think when you're talking about the Old Testament, the rabbinic commentary, I, ha I personally find a lot more helpful than a lot of the evangelical commentary that doesn't consider this. So a lot of times when people have been raised with the, you know, the evangelical commentary, and they've been taught this verse is talking about this, it's very eye-opening to read the rabbinic commentary that says this is how we understand this verse. And sometimes there is no, no connection between the two. Sometimes I agree with the rabbinic commentary as far as how the verse is being interpreted. Sometimes I don't. No, that means that's the rabbi interpreted. Yeah, this is the rabbinic commentary as opposed to the evangelical commentary. Okay, so the commentary, 
The commentary doesn't necessarily tell you what the verse actually means. It tells you how the verse was understood. And, and that's an important distinction, but it's still an important thing. Because a lot of times we're stuck in how we were told to interpret a verse. And if for no other reason than to challenge that and kind of make you think differently about it, I like reading other commentaries. Um, especially if I'm studying the Old Testament and there's a verse that I've never understood or that I've always struggled with. When I read the rabbinic commentary, I go, that's how they understood it. Yeah. That makes sense. It doesn't change what the verse literally says. But that's how they understood it. That's how they applied it. That's what they took it, you know, that's what they thought God was saying to them. Right. And, and since this is their history, <laughs> I think that's a little, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, just as an example, Reading history books in the public school, you're going to get, you know, to the, the victor gets to write the history. You're going to get generally the white conqueror version of history. Right. Versus going and finding a book written by Native American historians who share what happened from their perspective. The same event happened, but, but the understanding and the meaning to the different groups is different. And in the case of the Old Testament, it's really like reading a modern historian versus, <laughs> you know, the people who were wrestling with it back then and saying, you know, so if I, if I disregard this and I just go and read it on my own and I go, well, this means this, the Jews thought this. Versus saying, how did the Jews understand this? What did they take this to mean? Now, there's still room to talk about what does it mean to us today? How do we apply it? There's, there's a whole lot of, of room for, for bigger discussions. But um, And next week, I will we'll make sure to bring the Strong's Concordance. And I will bring the um, interlinear. I don't think we ended up with the interlinear. Hebrew Bible. Look for a Jehovah's Witness commentary. Commentary. Yes. And that will that will share with you how they interpret the verse. Did this get past you? Okay. You should be able to. You can possibly find one online. Um, if nothing else, call the Jehovah's Witness um, uh, office here in town. And ask them what commentary they use. Or if you can if you can come in and look at one. You can just take a picture of what the commentary says and go home and read it. Um, but then you'll then you'll know. You say I was raised Jehovah's Witness, I'm just trying to understand this particular thing. So the commentary is what? Is that like an overview? The commentary is is it's an explanation of how this person, this group whatever, interprets it. So, a sermon is commentary. Okay? So, so when we get together and I'm sharing, this is how I understand this verse, if it were written down, it would be in a commentary. Um, and like I said, some commentaries are more inclusive and some are more specific. But it's, Knowing what each of these tools is and what it's for and how it's used and how to use it properly is really helpful when somebody comes at you. If somebody comes at you and says, I was reading in Henry's commentary and it really means this. You can go, let me go look up Henry's commentary, but what does the verse actually say? Did you, you know, have you studied it in the Hebrew? Well, I read Henry's commentary. Okay, you're an expert on Henry's commentary, got it, you know. <laughs> or I looked it up in the Strong's, and it means, did you look it up in a lexicon? Let's go look it up in a lexicon. And some people take looking up anywhere else, they think you're trying to argue a scripture or disprove scripture, and it is true that some people go to the text with a bias. I mean, we all go with some level of bias. But if we're open to whatever we find there, and we're willing to let that shape our bias... We will study it honestly and look at what it really says versus going and trying to disprove. I don't want to look up the lexicon because I want to disprove the concordance. 
I want to look up the lexicon because I really want to, un want to understand what this word means. So you know what? Since, since um, you know, uh, Ashanti first introduced me to the Hebrew movement, mm -hmm. like all the years that I've studied the Bible, you know, it was in the context of like, the Baptist, or the with the Catholics and then, you know, other groups, but uh, non-denominational stuff like that, the, the study with the Hebrews have opened up my understanding even more because you study the culture. Right. So that helps me to understand what's going on. Right. Because of different translations and they're able to translate it. I'm taking it through things in Washington. Yeah. You know, maybe that's helping. When we first, so when we first started studying with you, I had told somebody I was like, the way she broke it down and brought the culture into it, I was like, I probably would crucify it too. <laughs> <laughs> in our country right now and think about what historians a hundred years from now okay it's going to be shaped by how it actually plays out you know um, I, I was one of the conversations I had this last week is I, I don't condone violence but at times I understand it and at times I think it's self-defense and, and really, if you step outside of the situation and you look at history, our Revolutionary War was a violent revolt. It wasn't peaceful. It was a war. And our civil war was horrible. Our civil war was horrible. Now, how... Right. But if you think about it, our understanding of the civil war would be different if the South had won. So our understanding of the Revolutionary War is shaped by the fact that we won, and we are the recipients of the things that happened there. We like what happened because we like our life now and the things that brings to us. We look at the Civil War, and and we react to it. We we say, yes, I'm glad this happened. I'm, it's a shame that happened. But if it had ended differently, we would be having a different conversation about it. And if we were, if we were the Confederate soldiers in the South we would have felt differently about it, which is where a lot of the current tension, because that was never resolved, because it wasn't like the Revolutionary War where we were in a completely different place, and if you're a loyalist, go home. Well, you know, We're all still of, together. Right, that's kind of like the way they try to explain away about the rebel flag. You know, ever right. since I've been looking at that flag, it represents nothing positive to me. And frankly, but I don't I understand... understand that your beloved South, right. you, were, you had it before I ever came on the scene, and if that flag really represented that. Except me, it, it didn't. It didn't, and frankly, I think if you're flying it, you're, you're defending Terrorists. treason. <laughs> exactly. Because the Confederate Army was fighting a treasonous fight. That's right. And they lost, therefore, defending that position is treason. And I don't understand flying it and, and holding that position. Well, they say it's, what, it it's means like in Germany. The grandness of the South. It means, I guess. Yeah, but it doesn't. <laughs> I know. It's like a loss, but you think you won. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Well, it's in Nazi Germany. It's illegal to fly a Nazi flag. That's a time in their history. They don't erase it. They have memorials, but they're not to Hitler. It's to the Jews who died. Wow. It's to the people who were devastated, to the communities mm -hmm. that, that were torn apart. Mm -hmm. So what are we celebrating? And you know And see that's the same for the statue. When I see some statue, I see General Lee. I don't want to see General Lee. Right. Oh, now, to do with General Lee. If you want to put it in a cemetery where he's buried. There you go. If you want to put it in a museum in a history context. I think they're going to. Yeah, they're going to. That's reasonable. If you want to create a memorial museum where you move right. all of these things, where people can go to learn about the history, about I support that. Right. Yeah. But a lot of the statues were erected the as the people were, well, they were erected as the, as the people involved were dying, right. and the Daughters of the Confederacy raised a bunch of money, mm -hmm. and they put them up, but it was during 
the era of the Jim Crow laws, and then a lot of them were during the era of the Civil Rights Movement, and they were put up as intimidation. They were put up to say, don't get out of line, this is who we still are, and this is, you know, we should have won. in certain neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. Primarily black neighborhoods. Yeah. I'm sorry, but if you're going to put a statue of a Confederate leader in a primarily black neighborhood during the Civil Rights Movement, you are making a statement. It is not innocent, and it is not about, we just want to remember our history. No, it's we just want you to remember our history. I was surprised at that because I didn't know they put them up during that time. A lot of people don't. Before that time. No. Before Reconstruction, when Reconstruction was being done, 1865 to 1877, only five, 45 sketches were put up. One of Lee, one of Davis. One of Beauregard, one of Jackson, and one of Johnson. They're all put up in as, as <laughs> morals to the, to the men, basically, um, and, in cemeteries or, or something like that. That was it. The federal, that's all the federal government would let them put up after the war. They weren't allowed to put up things anymore. And were they put up in parks? Like the the only true Lee Memorial. Is the one that's in Richmond. Uh, that, that was the one that was put up in 1868, right after he passed away. And, you know, it's right down the street from where he's buried. Right. So. And so I think, I, I love, especially as a homeschool mom, I love historical markers. Right. I love monuments I mean, that allow me to. Right. I, I love history. So I don't say this as somebody who wants to rewrite history. In fact, I don't want to rewrite history. The North one, I'm happy with that. Right. So <laughs> I would rather not rewrite history. Right. But I don't think it's unreasonable to listen to how things are affecting people. One of the, one of the examples that I gave in a, in a conversation yesterday was at Passover. We remember every year the oppression of slavery in Egypt God bringing us out of that. The bitterness of the your, bitterness of the tears, yes. the pain, mm-hmm. the sadness that they felt when they lost their children, mm-hmm. and and that we felt with everything that was going on. And the reason is to teach the next generation, right. and to remember. So we, we need to remember, right. so we, we don't let it happen again. Right. So we don't let it happen to us, right. and. The way that the Torah is written, the way that the instructions were given as they were going into the land while they were in the wilderness after this event, so that you never let it happen to anyone else either. That is why you and the slave in your community, you and the sojourner, you and your animals, you and everyone and everything that is part of your community, observe this. Everyone rests on Shabbat. You don't get to bring in other people to do your work for you on Shabbat. It's a, it's a time of rest. If you're truly honoring it, you'll have everybody with you all. And so we don't need to erect monuments because we have that history. But the history, remembering the history, is with the point of never letting evil happen again. Right, right. And that, so when you ask, well, well this is our history. This is your history? Is your history of evil or good? Why are you trying to remember it? Why do you need to memorialize it? What is your point, both in erecting it and in refusing to let it come down? Right. Because if there is anything unloving in that, perhaps step aside and listen to the people who are telling you the true impact of what you've done. And how you respond to that will either be godly or ungodly. So on that note, this is 1230, yeah. and yeah. I want to eat before I go sit down for hours. Yeah, you better, <laughs> <laughs> you better go eat first, because boy, you, you say it's you don't good. eat there. No, I can't eat there. Once I'm inside, if I didn't bring it, it's not, I, I'm not having it. Oh, so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his countenance upon you and grant you peace. Amen. And go ahead and pick pick one or two verses for next time. And I'll hand out the, the books to different people and have different people find them. Okay.
Okay. And, and we'll just really, we'll oh, dig into extensively studying one or two verses. Right. If we get, if the first one's great and we're going, then we'll just do the one. But if we get that one kind of meaty eaten, then we'll, we'll tear into a second one. And we can do this for a few weeks if you guys want. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a limited thing. Um, and we can incorporate yeah, this. So we can get to more yeah, yeah. And as we, as we, you know, let's make a list of some of the different things that we want to look into, some of the different verses, some of the different, um, if you want to look at some topics. And this, this might be a great time to, because we normally go through and we read a whole book and we just work our way through it. If you want to learn about a topic, like I've always wanted to learn about this subject, this is a great time to transition to that because you'll be digging into the, with the books. You'll be looking up the verses. You'll be, um, bring your, if you've got tablets or phones and you want to bring uh, BLB, you can look that up. Um, so I find that that's a great quick step, even if I'm using the books. It's BLB.org. BLB.org. Because when I go yeah. to the Hebrew, it shows me the Hebrew. So when I'm looking up, when I'm looking up in the lexicon, I know what I'm looking for. And I can find the sections and then narrow it down. I mean, I know it enough to, to be a little faster in it, but um, sometimes it's still helpful. And, and if I haven't really dug into something in that way in a while, sometimes I need the refreshers. Um, just kind of like, you know, if you haven't gone, even if you speak Spanish, if you haven't gone to Mexico in a while, you might <laughs> need that quick refresher of, wait, how do I say that word? Why my favorite French word is, qu'est-ce que c'est? <laughs> how do you say? <laughs> Um, do what? Yeah. How do you say this? You know, it's it's effort to communicate. Yeah. So I'm excited. We will do that next week. Um, and and we'll just kind of add this to our study. So I think that'll be fun. All right. Yay.